We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome back to Everyday Acupuncture. Today, my guest is Adam Reinstein. Adam is an acupuncturist and a researcher at Abbott Hospital in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he's not just your everyday acupuncturist. Adam works in an emergency room. And so today, we're going to get the doctor's eye view on what it's like to do Chinese medicine in a conventional Western medicine emergency room. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Michael. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm totally psyched about this conversation. You know, so often acupuncture is seen as this kind of oddball alternative, and here you are in a conventional medicine emergency room. How did you get there? It was kind of a circuitous route. I noticed when I was in acupuncture school and we had to take our Western medicine classes uh, I had a, a strong interest in it, and, and actually at one point questioned maybe I should have gone to med school, but I was happy I stuck with the acupuncture uh, training and schooling, and I really hoped when I got out that I could get a job in a hospital and be part of a team of practitioners that were treating a patient and trying to bring all the, the best treatments and modalities uh, to bear on them, but that wasn't the case in the beginning. I got out and, met, like uh, many acupuncturists, started a clinic and tried to, you know, make my way in that world and was uh, went through several iterations of my clinic or working with other people. And at some point, I moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was working in a clinic that was going to be closing soon due to one of the other practitioners getting a job working in a hospital and was told about an opportunity to be a research assistant in a integrative medicine research department at this hospital at Abbott Northwestern. And it sounded intriguing. I always had an interest in research. I was interested in, you know, what integrative medicine was doing in a hospital. And so I took this part-time job as a research assistant, uh, working on a, a large pain study where we would just collect pain and anxiety scores on patients after they had received integrative medicine services. Um, and it was through that process, my work relationship with my boss, telling him about acupuncture and my style of acupuncture. At the time, I was still keeping my foot in the acupuncture world by doing house calls. And the more stories I shared with him about the way I treated patients, he uh, kept taking that information. I think it was percolating, said, you know, we were given some money a while back to integrate acupuncture into an emergency room and see if that's even possible. And I think you might be a good fit. So that's sort of the genesis of how that program even began. Wow. Right place, right time. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of luck. I think there was some, you know, I think hard work 
plays a role, but I think it definitely pays to be in the right place at the right time. Well, there's something about hard work that really somehow helps a person's luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, all right, you're working in an emergency room. What kinds of issues or conditions are you treating with acupuncture? And in a second piece, a little follow-up to that is in what way is acupuncture used in conjunction with the other methods that are there? I know that's a long question. Sure. Well, we got plenty of time to unpack it. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing is I, you know, had to sort of educate the, the providers, the doctors, the nurses about what things I thought I could help them with. So a lot of it was figuring out what are their challenges? What are the types of patients they see that they want some additional services to help with? And in the end, it boils down to sort of three main things, pain, anxiety, and nausea. And the disease or the condition itself is less important because a lot of the work I do is more symptom-based. I only see the patient once, you know, for most uh, patients. Sometimes if they're, you know, in the emergency department multiple times, we do have some frequent flyers. I may see them, you know, several times uh, over a period of weeks or months. But the majority of patients get one treatment. And so my job is, is a little more... Uh, restricted and, and defined to just treating um, some immediate needs the patient has. And these are things that maybe the uh, medication either isn't as effective as the physicians would hope, or uh, patients sometimes decline medications. They don't want narcotics, and they want to see if there's anything else available. So in terms of conditions, I see you know, a wide variety of you know, Western medical diagnoses but from my perspective, a lot of it is, is boils down to pain, anxiety, and nausea. I would imagine anybody in an emergency room probably has anxiety. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting point that you highlight. And it's something that definitely has emerged in the evolution of this program is in the beginning, I think the focus was always on pain. And, you know, sometimes I'm treating uh, very acute things. Sometimes I'm treating just a flare-up of a chronic condition, but it was, didn't take long for myself and the the physicians and the PEAs, the physicians assistants and the nurse practitioners to recognize that anxiety plays a huge role in the condition of the patient in the emergency department and probably is exacerbating any pain they may have. And for some of the patients, that anxiety really becomes a barrier to them receiving, I think, uh, appropriate treatment or getting, maybe it's not appropriate treatment, but to really getting the best treatment. I think they can work themselves up so much just being in that setting that anything that we can do to make them feel a little more relaxed, a little more calm is going to be very beneficial. I would suspect that Patient, like you say, with high anxiety, pain's worse. All kinds of things could be worse. Mm -hmm. My suspicion is people would end up perhaps over-medicated just because they're having this moment of uh, emotional difficulty. Yeah, that's – I mean, I see that play out in the emergency department, and, and I'm seeing it more and more in the media. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the opioid ep epidemic that's going on in this country, how we – overprescribe, overuse, and abuse opioids. But another piece that's emerging through the media now is this uh, recognition that benzodiazepines are also playing a big role in the uh, addiction world and that the interaction of those two drugs, the opioids and the benzos, can you know, work sort of synergistically to suppress the patient's respiration or their level of consciousness in ways that, you know, isn't really beneficial to the patient. So for our listeners that don't know what a benzo is, benzodiazepine is, what are some of the common uh, trademark drug names that, that they would be familiar with? Uh, the one we use a lot of is Ativan, things like Ativan, Valium, Xanax. Can't say that these are all actually in that class because I'm not a pharmacologist, but those types of medications that tend we tend to give people to reduce anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so 
if a and, and this is something that was actually highlighted to me by a patient I treated yesterday was she pointed out that I was the only person that really asked her about her anxiety. And it's not something that goes unnoticed, but I think a lot of times it's something that the doctors will look at a patient and say, oh, that patient looks anxious. Maybe I'll just give them some Ativan to, to help with the situation, to sort of like lubricate the treatment and make them a little calmer. But I think being an integrative medicine practitioner and able to spend a little bit more time with the patient and sort of assess where they're at in the department, um, I'm able to sort of have those conversations and, and then also treat that. So what kind of responses do you see people having when they're getting acupuncture in the ER for anxiety? I think the, the main one is, well, I should say the, the thing that I hear the most is the word weird. A lot of patients, whether it's anxiety or pain, you know, they receive a treatment. Many of my patients, probably somewhere between 60 and 70% have never had acupuncture. Many of them don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. When I offer it to them, they ask me, you know, what is that? And I say, oh, it's a form of Chinese medicine. We use these little needles. And that sort of gets their attention. And they, a lot of people sort of uh, are a little scared of the idea of needles but once I show them what a needle looks like, we talk a little bit about the treatment. Many of the patients agree to uh, try it. And I think they're kind of surprised by the fact that it's making them feel better. Uh, it doesn't work for everyone, but I'd say a, a majority of the patients get some benefit. And unlike being in a, a private clinic setting where you'll have soft music and some dim lighting and um, it's a much more controlled environment, for the patient's benefit, you know, my patients tend not to fall asleep. We're in a fluorescently lit room. There's a lot of noises. They may be hooked up to monitors that are beeping. They could have patients, you know, in the room next door or somewhere else in the department that are screaming. Lots of things are happening. And so it's, it's not as necessarily a relaxed environment, but we try to do, you know, what we can to make it as relaxing for the patients. And many of them do respond. Yeah, that thing about expressing that it's weird. I often get similar responses in my clinic. I'm not working in an emergency room. But it often goes so against what people expect, right? It's like a few needles. What's that going to do? And then when something happens, it does seem really, really strange. Yeah, and and the thing I really like about this work is – it, I'm not practicing acupuncture in Chinese medicine necessarily the way I was taught. Um, I've had to sort of think outside the box, and I've had to uh, really adapt to the context and the setting in ways that um, are a little bit of a compromise from maybe what I would do in a in a my own clinic setting. But at the same time, I've I've also realized that I can sort of simplify the treatment. I can still be effective and give people a good treatment, even though I don't have other modalities at my disposal. I, you know, I need to consider the patient's safety first and foremost. And so I have a very limited set of points that I use on people um, because they're not coming into the department for acupuncture. They're coming in because they're having some medical emergency. And I definitely don't want to contribute to escalating that emergency, so I tend to stay away from a lot of points on the the chest or abdomen. I don't have the capacity to do back treatments, and a lot of that, you know, is a conscious decision to stay away from any vital organs in the patient. So, because I can't predict what they're going to do, you know, maybe they're going to flop around, maybe they're going to move, maybe another provider is going to come in and you know touch them in a way or ask them to do something. Uh, while the needles are retained, and, and I just don't have enough control over them to to sort of jeopardize their safety. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm really I'm I'm very caught here by your comment that what you're doing is different than what you've been taught in school. And my sense of this is that you've taken what you've been taught, and you're finding yourself in an environment that they couldn't teach you about in school because nobody's teaching this stuff in school, mm. right? Yeah. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about how you've taken what you knew 
adapted it to this new environment? What what is it that that sort of caught your attention that I can't do it the way that I've been doing that I've been taught? Um, but it sounds like you've gone to some core principles in a sense that you've been able to take and adapt into this new environment. Is that true? Yeah, I guess that's. I think that's a really good way to put it. And I think a lot of it has to do with the progression that got me to th- that position. Um, I started off working in a clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, where I was doing full treatments. I had a four-room clinic at my disposal. I could do front treatments, back treatments, cupping, gua sha, moxa. I, uh, I had it all there. And then I, I moved to Minneapolis and was working in a community clinic. And all of a sudden now you you're have a new set of constraints. Um, you're working in, with people sitting in lazy boy chairs. They're you know reclined. You tend to access points from the knees down and the elbows down and the ears and the head. And that that was a, a somewhat of a challenge. But I had also been trained in using uh, Dr. Tan's balance method, and had done uh, a lot of self study on master tongue acupuncture points. And so I started just developing a, a relationship with new sort of acupoint friends that would help me on in my treatments. And then once I transitioned to doing house calls, I quickly realized that uh, bringing a massage table to everyone's home maybe isn't the, the best treatment. I treated some patients that were uh, sort of bound to their beds or, or to their own reclining chairs or had limited mobility. I might treat people after they'd had surgery and, and they weren't moving so easily. So getting them up on a massage table wasn't ideal. And so I just treated people wherever they were comfortable. I had patients that would lay in their bed and their reclining chairs. I treated a patient who prefers laying on the floor and or some that even just sat up. And so we're, you know, meeting the patient where they where they are is a principle that I still use to this day. And I it's it's very important to me to make it as little a burden as possible for them. Yeah, so this is, I mean, I've always thought acupuncture is great because it's a very portable skill. You know, you can put some needles in, you know, keep them in your pocket, in your backpack, your purse, whatever. You go to work anywhere you are. But yes, a lot of us are used to using a table or, you know, easy chair. It sounds like you could go anywhere and treat anyone and help them with well okay so in the in the emergency room it's nausea anxiety and and pain Uh, i'm curious too let's just expand this a bit when you were treating people uh, maybe post-surgery when you were going to their homes and such what was your scope there what kinds of issues were you treating i think in this in a sense very similar things patients that were having a lot of pain they were still having limited range of motion they may be experiencing some depression because they're, you know, all of a sudden not as active as they used to be. And it was also a really fascinating uh, insight into the patient when you're invited into their home. You get to see them in their environment, how they interact, the the challenges and the struggles they may have. I remember a patient um, post-surgical, you know, getting discharged from the hospital, and then I'm going to his house to treat him. And I ring the bell and it takes him, you know, five minutes to get to the door because now he's using a walker. And this was a previously healthy individual who, you know, was uh, very active and engaged in their life. And now they're having to sort of relearn some skills or to adapt to using these devices to get around. And eventually they get better. But I think in that short term period, it's a real adjustment and it's something that they probably weren't prepared for. And so it was nice to be able to provide them a little bit more comprehensive treatment and to um, do it in a, in a way that was as little a burden to them as possible. So coming to their house and making them comfortable in their own setting was, was really important. Yeah, it sounds like it. Back to the ER for a moment. Yeah. How do the uh, ER docs and the other ER staff view acupuncture in that particular domain what's what's their response to this uh, surprisingly the the majority of them are very open to this they have been very supportive probably since the beginning it didn't hurt that the medical director for the emergency department at my hospital was a big proponent of this and so there was sort of a top down message that here's something we are going to try and you know 
he was really encouraging the physicians to take advantage of it. And I sort of had a, you know, when I, when I try to work with people, whether it's in research or in, in different acupuncture settings, the first question I always ask is, you know, what is your problem? I don't want to come in here and start imposing my medicine in your world if mm. it's not something that's going to help you. And so by asking that question, I learned like they struggle with patients with pain. They struggle, you know, having to rely on, you know, heavy narcotics and they, re- they struggle with patients with a lot of anxiety. Um, the other thing that I think they have recently started appreciating is I'm a, another member of the care team that can actually go in and spend some dedicated time with the patient. You know, unlike the physicians who have to manage, you know, up to 10 or 12 patients at a time, and many, you know, some of them having very, you know, life-threatening conditions, I'm focused just on one person at a time. And so I'm really able to sit there and be with the patient, listen to them, help them feel heard, maybe even learn some other information that they didn't share with the doctor because their exam uh, only covered certain things. And now the patient's remembering something else that they think is relevant for their doctor to know. And then I can relay that information. So I think for the most part, they've seen it as an asset to their team. Um, But there definitely are skeptics. Um, But even amongst the skeptics, I think they bump up against patients where their treatments aren't as effective as they would like. And they say, you know, this might be a good person. And and they all have their own sort of mental algorithm to figure out what is uh, the ideal patient. And there's a lot of dialogue back and forth between myself and the team to help educate them in terms of the things that I think I can treat well and other things that I say, well, I can try, but I'm not sure that it's going to be you know, very effective in this short term. Mm-hmm. Are there any studies being done uh, or is anyone looking at, say, the use of uh, pain drugs needed or anti-anxiety drugs needed for patients that are not receiving acupuncture versus patients who are? Are there is there a measurable is anyone even looking to see if there's a measurable difference in uh, use of medications when acupuncture is also part of the picture? So far, I don't believe any of the emergency room studies have looked at opioids. I think there have been some that have tried to account for it. I mean, right now in the in the literature in the world, there's probably only about six studies that are published uh, looking at acupuncture being used in an emergency room setting. And um, the work that I'm actually going to be starting in the next week or two, we we did a study that was published in a journal called Pain Medicine. And it was just a, a retrospective observational study. So it was data that I had collected asking pain scores, anxiety scores, nausea scores on patients um, before and after the treatment. And we were able to sort of tease out, had this patient also received medications before or during the treatment? Because when I'm giving a treatment, it's not to the exclusion of the rest of their care in the department. I'm in the room, but a nurse may come in and deliver medications while the needles are retained or... Um, you know, physicians may come in and continue examining the patient or doing some other uh, tests. So it's, it's part of it. I don't uh, have a dedicated space where I take them away from the department. We do it right in their treatment room, right on the gurney that they're already laying in. Um, so we looked at some of our data, but we're actually now going to be starting a randomized control trial where we are going to be doing just what you said. We're going to randomize a group of patients to receive acupuncture as a first-line treatment for pain in the emergency department. And then after they've received the acupuncture, before and after they'll do some questionnaires, then they'll just continue on with their standard of care, whatever the emergency room provider thinks is appropriate, they'll receive that. Then there'll be another group that's randomized to the, the control arm, and they will just receive the standard care. And then we are going to look at the use of opioids we're also going to do a 30-day follow-up after the, the, uh, their discharge from the department and kind of see, you know, what has their opioid use been, uh, been like. And we're also going to measure uh, the differences between the groups in terms of the amount of prescriptions that they receive from the emergency department. Because some people will get a little bit of an opioid or a few doses of opioids in the department, but then they also may receive a couple-day supply um, for their condition uh, upon discharge. Mm-hmm. That 
I'll be very interested in seeing what that study has to say. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I think it, it will be, you know, I, my hope is it's beneficial in some way, but I definitely don't want to presuppose that that's going to be the case. So, yeah, that's why we'll do the study. Yeah, well, um, This is going to be a small pilot study, and then hopefully um, if we get funding through uh, larger grants that we'll be able to actually really expand it and, and power this study so that we can say things a little more definitively. Always nice to have a sense of what the results actually are. Mm-hmm. You know, so I suspect that there are some things that you've learned about being in emergent situations. I mean, not just with your acupuncture, but just kind of ways of handling yourself and such. Is that true? Yeah, you know, I talked earlier about this idea of expectations and and sort of having to let go of maybe the way I would want things to go. And and that's really been a big lesson for me is in my treatments to not try to control it anymore. I show up, I try to meet the patient where they are. I try to assess pretty quickly because I don't have a lot of time. My average treatment's about 23 minutes um, in the room with the patient. So it's quickly develop some rapport, Try to listen to any objections they have to receiving a treatment, overcome them if I can, and then give them a you know a good treatment in a short amount of time with using you know pretty minimal number of needles. And you know I know in my previous clinic experience you'd want the lighting to be a certain way, and you'd maybe want some music on, and you'd want them to be sort of resting and just trying to you know connect their mind and their body during the treatment and and allow things to happen and. In the emergency department, that's just not the case. In many treatments, it's, you know, they have a TV blaring and they're distracting themselves watching some, you know, kind of garbage on the TV. They might be on their phone texting or, you know, looking at Facebook or something. And and I've sort of tried to just let go of that and let them have their experience because I find that when I'm more open to whatever's happening it, they're more open, and then there's nothing for them to push back against. So it's sort of like our my energy field or my chi field and theirs can sort of um, exist comfortably together, and there's there's no sort of tension there. This episode is supported by our friends over at Golden Needle Acupuncture, Herbal, and Medical Supply. Golden Needle carries a wide range of Chinese medicine supplies and natural health care products for the modern acupuncture clinic. Golden Needle offers listeners 20% off on your next online order until May the 24th. You can contact them at www.goldenneedleonline.com and be sure to tell them that Michael sent you. You can also find a direct link to them over on the show notes page. Also, if you want to directly support the show yourself and help to keep some leaves in the teacup, you can do so by leaving a donation over on the website at everydayacupuncturepodcast.com. Thanks again for listening, and now on to the second half of the show. I hadn't really thought about the way that most of us have a clinic. We actually have expectations for our patients and expectations for the experience that they'll have. Ideally one that is relaxing, calming, rejuvenating, healing, all that stuff, right? We as practitioners, uh, we have an agenda. And it sounds like in the ER, the agenda has, at least the practitioner agenda that we usually carry, is stripped away. It's, It's a different agenda. It's how can I accompany this person who they are, where they are in this moment, in the way that's most helpful. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. That's um, I'm just there to try to make them feel a little better. I'm not the only provider. Um, it, it has happened where the uh, the emergency room doctor will examine the patient, and they may have you know some condition where they say, "Oh, I think acupuncture would be great for this patient." They send me in, I give them a treatment, the patient's symptoms resolve. The doctor has determined that, you know, the cause of this is not something life-threatening or that we really need to worry about. And they may be discharged right after, you know, receiving acupuncture as the only intervention they even received in the emergency department. But that's, by and large, not the majority of the cases. And I'm just one member. I'm, you know, a small piece of the puzzle. And 
um, and that's okay. It's I don't have to do it all, and that's not why they came in. And like I said, many of my patients don't know anything about acupuncture. They don't have these expectations of oh, I'm going to go to a clinic. I'm going to be able to just relax for an hour and sleep. It's um, it's it's just a very different dynamic, and um, I've I've sort of learned to just allow things to happen. I if a patient needs to go to an x-ray and the person that takes them, you know, on their gurney to the x-ray shows up and I just put the needles in two minutes ago. Well, I take the needles out and they're on their way. It's, it's, um, it's not about me, the patients, the staff, none of those people are there for me. I'm there for them and I'm there to serve the team and the, and the, the patient in the best way possible that I can in that moment. But, um, in no way should it sort of slow up or, hinder the care that they're going to receive. Right. You really are working in this integrative setting that has lots of moving parts. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I, I'm probably the most excited about is I really feel for as much as we talk about this idea of integrative medicine, I don't know if we've done a great job of really defining what that is. And I think it means different things to different people. And for me, uh, it really means being an integrated part of the team. Uh, it's not just about acupuncture existing side by side or in a Western setting, because we also have acupuncturists that do care that way, but, but they're a little bit more um, detached from the physicians. They interact probably more with the nurses. But for me, it's, you know, a lot of dialoguing happens where uh, I'll show up and ask if they have any patients for me to see. I'm stationed in the department and, you know, I'll have doctors sit down, they'll look through every patient on their list and say, oh, I've got this one. And they start just rambling off, you know, this person's in here with this condition, you know, we've done this test. We're, we're, I think we've ruled this out. I think it's, you know, probably safe for you to go treat them. They're not having a heart attack. You know, we've done the EKG, their, their heart looks fine. I think they're probably a little anxious. They may have something else going on. And and just being part of that team where uh, my skills are valued, uh, you know, in a sense, just as much as anyone else's. And I think they appreciate the fact that, like I said, I can go and actually spend some time with the patient. And I think that's another service that they and value that they see uh, that I bring to the table. Well, it sounds like you often will be able to bring back useful information that you can't get if if you've just spent three minutes with a person and now you've got to run off and see someone who's bleeding even more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so those things happen and, and I get to connect with a patient sometimes in a slightly different way. And I think all the doctors, you know, would love to spend the time working on education and talking to their patients about exercise, you know, the benefits of exercise and nutrition and lifestyle and sleep and stress management. Um, but that's a lot of things to cover in a really short period of time. And they, uh, they j- that's just sort of beyond the scope of what, of what they're entitled to. Some do, and some do tackle some of those areas. But I think by and large, their job is to make sure the patient's not going to die, make sure they don't have some sort of life-threatening condition that they're going to miss, and then discharge them, hopefully for the patient to follow up with their primary care provider. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you do have an opportunity to talk with patients about some of these issues. Yeah. Uh, some patients, you know, when they're retaining the needles, just want to lay there, be quiet. Some want to watch the TV. And other, um, many others want to sort of engage in discussions about their health or their disease and ask questions. Sometimes they feel like they don't really know what's going on and they have questions about uh, the medications they're being given or the tests that are being run. And I can provide some of that, but then we get a chance to talk about, um, you know, what are the things in their lives that they're struggling with? And this is an urban emergency department. And so we see a lot of patients that um, are maybe a little lower economic, socioeconomic status. They uh, see plenty of homeless patients, people living in shelters, patients that are struggling with some of the more basic needs in life. And so, you know, once again, it's not about me saying, here, take these herbs three times a day, or you need to start eating these organic fruits and vegetables, or it's really listening to what are their challenges. And 
what are the little things that I can, you know, either help them see your offer or other resources I can give them to make their situation a little bit more manageable. Yeah, you're in a really interesting position there. You, I just want to come back to something here that you mentioned a few minutes ago, that a big piece of what you do in your work there is develop rapport with people and, and you know, get a sense of what's going on and doing it quickly, mm-hmm. needing to do it quickly. That's, that's a piece of your work. So this sounds like a useful skill to have really in any emergent situation. How do you quickly connect with somebody and find out what they need? Can you walk us through what you do to quickly connect and find out what's important to someone and how can you best help? Uh, I guess I can try. You know, it's it's funny. I just do it and I don't think much about it. But, um, you know, in my experience, I, I tend not to spend a lot of time looking at the patient's chart before I even go in. Sometimes I find that I might read something that in their history that might bias how I'm going to approach them. Or sometimes I even get information from a doctor or nurse like, oh, you're going to go see that patient. Oh, they're really they're really challenging in some way. And I don't want to bring that into the room with me. So I just kind of walk in and try to see it as um, the situation in the moment. First thing I do, you know, I make I use eye contact a lot. I sort of focus in on the patient and I just address them. I And I just, you know, it's it sounds strange, but a lot of times I don't even um, mention their name. I don't ask them their name. I don't. Uh, look at their name before I go in. It's sort of, you know, I introduce myself and they may introduce themselves or they may not. And I sort of, you know, just say, Hey, I'm Adam. I'm the acupuncturist here in the emergency department. I've spoke with your physician and they want me to come in and chat with you and see if you want to try a little acupuncture day to make you feel better. And may, and then I sort of ask, you know, they, they may have some questions about what acupuncture is. And then I get to start asking them, well, what brought you in today? And once they start talking about themselves, particularly, it's um, there's that connection. There's someone that's taking an interest in them, and it, it seems like it happens kind of quickly and organically. I don't I don't know if there's anything uh, particular. I think we all have our own skills and our own way of doing that with our patients that we're probably not even conscious of. Yeah, I, everybody works differently. I'm. I'm 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 struck here by your sense of walking in kind of empty and open and without much expectation. You have not pigeonholed them already by looking at their chart. You're going in totally fresh. Yeah, and it's it's I a saying I used to say when I was even in school, I'd say, you know, the patient isn't their chart, but yet then I would spend all this time looking through their chart trying to gain all this knowledge. And thinking somehow there's going to be some, you know, very useful things in there. But a lot of times the patient tells you straight out what they need. And because I'm not trying to do tons of pattern differentiation and I'm not going to be treating them for a long term, the relationship's very different. I I tell people I don't build relationships, I build rapport. And it's not that we're not connected. It's not that I don't have a vested interest in their care, but it's that I have a, a very focused job to do. And like I said, I've given up in the beginning. It wasn't this way in the beginning. I did want to control the patient's experience and I wanted them to sort of, you know, relax and connect and, and to really receive what was going on. And, and I just realized that, um, this isn't the time or place for that, that I'm going to frustrate myself because it's not going according to my mental image. And so if I don't have a mental image of the patient, I just go in and I'm not there to solve all their problems either. You know, if they're having a headache, great, I can treat that. I don't need to know much about their history. Um, the physician will probably tell me like, you know, I don't think I want you to see this patient. I think their headache may be meningitis. And, you know, we want to do some more tests before we go down this acupuncture road. Um, but they'll say, you know, I think this is just a, a cluster migraine. And, and, um, I think, uh, acupuncture would be a great thing to offer. And, and the nice thing too, is even if I don't end up helping the patient in the moment, maybe I've opened their eyes to another treatment strategy or some other resources that can help them. And, um, and then, you know, I provide them with some, uh, other referrals that they might follow up with. And so 
in a sense, it becomes more of being an acupuncture ambassador for some patients where you're giving them a taste of something and maybe sparking their curiosity. And for some people, especially the ones that do respond, they're like, wow, I didn't even consider this an option, but now I have another choice. Yes, and it's nice to have choices. Yeah. Yeah. Are you aware of any other hospitals that are offering acupuncture services in the emergency rooms here in the United States? No, I don't, I don't know of any. Um, it's not to say that there aren't people doing it, but I, I definitely don't think people have been doing it in this way um, anywhere else. I mean, being an embedded member of the team and also you know, using that experience to gather some data and, and do some research is probably a pretty unique spot. It, it sounds like a really unique spot. And both from the point of view of getting to do this work in the situation that you're embedded in and how handy that you've also got this interest in research because this is a, it seems to me a really fertile area to look at how acupuncture might be helpful to people. Yeah. I I think that's the, that's sort of the really nice aspect of the work I get to do is I get to sort of have a foot in both camps and to understand it from both perspectives because that is something a lot of doctors want to see these days is research, you know, show me that this works. You know, why should I just take it at, you know, face value that people talk about acupuncture and anecdotally I hear stories, but you know, where are the numbers? And I know for a lot of acupuncturists, that's a turnoff. They, they don't want to be reduced. They don't want their entire work reduced to a number or a set of numbers or graphs and says, this is what acupuncture can do. Um, and I definitely don't believe that we do reduce things down to that simple level, but we, we highlight this is one aspect of what you're bringing to the table. And if you can reduce pain, that's great for the patient. That's great for the hospital. It's great for the providers. Um, it's sort of a, a win-win. And it's nice to be able to show the, the value, especially working in a, a Western medical setting. Um, it's A lot of it, unfortunately, is about dollars and cents and and uh, if you can show your value, um, it's much easier to you know, keep your, your job doing the work you like to do. Well, and also it's helpful to know where something makes a contribution and where something doesn't make so much of a contribution. Exactly. It, it, you know, if, if, and I try to be really honest with people about that is, is I can't do – acupuncture can't do everything. And especially in, in these short you know, one-time treatments – but it can do some things, and let's focus on that and, and really study what is the benefit of that. And, you know, my goal is that by continuing to sort of push the envelope in these new areas that uh, acupuncture does become uh, more accepted, that we generate more literature out there that shows the utility and the benefit of it to both patients and, uh, and hospitals so that in the future there are more jobs for acupuncturists that, to go into Mm-hmm. This, um, I'm not sure if this is a valid question to ask, but I'm going to toss it out anyway. If, if there's any listeners out there that are involved with hospitals or hospital administration or emergency rooms or things like that, and they were thinking that they might want to incorporate these kinds of services into their, into their um, ERs, where would they start? How would they begin to go about doing something like this? Any any idea? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, a lot of this has to almost come from the top down because anytime you're introducing a new service, it's got to be paid for from you know some source. Uh, we were fortunate to have a donor give some money and say, you know, I think it's it would be great to have acupuncture in the emergency room. I think we rely too much on opioids. You know, what can we do to sort of change that, that narrative? And they put some seed money out, and then I was able to apply for a, a supplemental grant through the NIH and uh, get some funding to, to continue my studies and research as well as do, do the work in the department and then publish the paper. And, and now we've received some other grants, and it's for me in the research world, it's about, you know, finding that funding. Um, but we also have a team of practitioners through the Penny George Institute for Health and Healing 
at this hospital that go throughout the hospital and treat uh, patients with acupuncture, massage, guided imagery, healing touch, aromatherapy, reflexology. Um, and that too was started by a philanthropist that decided, you know, she thought that hospitals should offer more, that they should do more total patient care. And then over time, uh, that program grew and grew. And now the philanthropic dollars have sort of gone away, but the hospital has decided that it's an important enough service to offer that they pay for it, even though we don't get reimbursed in any kind of way for it. So they're seeing benefit in other places. Exactly. And it's not to say that you don't continually have to show your benefit, but that um, there are ways of looking at it, you know. Are you improving patient satisfaction? That's one of the big metrics that hospitals are sort of graded on and reimbursements are tied to in part. Are you improving patient outcomes? Are you making the patient better? Maybe you're doing it quicker. So if you do it faster and you help the patient recover and get out of the hospital quicker, um, you've reduced their length of stay. That saves the hospital money. So And it saves everybody money. Saves everybody money. So you really have to just think of it in terms of the system. So sometimes you have to go beyond, you know, what is the direct benefit of acupuncture? But how does acupuncture benefit everyone in the system, the, the patients, the providers, and the hospital, and potentially the insurers? Um, if they see savings, you know, they might be more uh, inclined to cover the service. Yes, that makes sense. Well, I'm very excited to hear what you turn up with your studies over there. Yeah, thanks. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good outlook to have, isn't it? Yeah. I was going to say, we're, we're getting close to winding this down here. I'm wondering if there's any comments uh, or other thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners. I, th I think the thing that I would like to, uh, to really share is this idea of thinking outside the box and sort of uh, challenging yourself to put yourself in new situations or try new things in your practices, no matter where it is, whether it's in your own clinic or you're working in someone else's clinic or you're working in a hospital setting, um, but to really uh, continually challenge your assumptions about what the work is. Uh, having worked with, in the emergency department for only like probably two months, I met a physician who was uh, going to Haiti in a couple months and he has been going since 2010 when the first earthquake hit and he takes a team of uh, doctors maybe a surgeon uh, some nurses EMTs uh, respiratory therapists down with him and they help staff and train uh, Haitian uh, staff in this trauma hospital the only trauma hospital in Port-au-Prince and almost jokingly I asked him if I could go with him and he said, well, let me look and look into it. And he checked and he said, yeah, they said, I can bring you. He goes, I don't know what you're going to do there. I don't think they've ever had an acupuncturist come to the hospital. Um, but, you know, try it. And so I went with him uh, that February, went to Haiti, had, you know, I don't speak French or Creole. I uh, didn't know what to expect. And I just brought my a bunch of needles. I had a, a fanny pack that the organization gave us. I put my needles, my alcohol swabs, and my Q-tips in there. And I just made myself available and was open to whatever experiences came my way and ended up treating a, a lot of patients. I had connected with acupuncturists without borders, and they graciously provided me with a translator for a few days, one of the Haitians they had worked with and who was doing um, some NADA clinics down there. And he came to the hospital and translated. Some of the staff translated for me. And we treated all kinds of patients, whether it was in triage or in the emergency room. And it, it was really an eye-opening experience. You know, I just started working in the emergency room, and now I'm in a foreign country where they are, their resources are, you know, infinitely more limited than what we have. And being, once again, part of a team. And the doctor even joked at one point they brought in a, uh, a patient who was kind of having this hysterical fit. And the Haitian EMT, you know, his first inclination wasn't to call the doctor. He said, you know, where's the acupuncturist? And sort of was uh, sent someone looking for me. And so really fitting into to new environments. And I ended up going back for a second trip and worked with the um, 
Haitian translator from Acupuncturists Without Borders again. And this time we even tried something a little more novel where we went to the outpatient clinic at the same hospital and people are just sitting on benches and we would just go down the line and he would introduce acupuncture. And once again, these patients probably had very little to no experience with it or even understanding of it. But once you gave it to one person, everyone wanted it. And we would just do nada on all these patients sitting on a bench and there'd be, you know, a hundred of them in this area and it's hot and, and sweaty and crowded. And, um, it was amazing. It was, it was, uh, like I said, a very eye opening experience. And I think that was another stepping stone to figuring out that you can really bring this medicine anywhere and do it in all kinds of ways you hadn't considered. And so that's sort of my challenge to people is to, is to think outside the box and to, um, really try to push the boundaries of what they think is capable. That's great. And it's got me thinking right now too. Hmm. Where, where am I not looking that I might be able to look and help? I'm going to keep my eyes open and see what shows up. Great. Yeah. Great. I think, I think you'll be surprised at what you find too. Well, I'm usually up for a surprise, so that would be fine. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, thanks again for being on the show today. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Michael. I thank you for the opportunity. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. If so, please take a moment and visit www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com where you can click on the review on iTunes button to rate and review the show. Doing this helps other people to find the show. Also, you can express your appreciation by supporting the show with a donation. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in again next time. 